Are you ready? Ready to release internal pain? To find confidence, clarity, and direction for your future? To live a life of meaning, fulfillment, and contribution? To trust your intuition again, but something's been holding you back? You've come to the right place. Welcome. I'm Ian Hawkins, the host and founder of the Grief Code podcast. Together, let's heal your unresolved or unknown grief by unlocking your grief code. As you tune in to each episode, you will receive insight into your own grief, how to eliminate it and what to do next. Before we start, I have one request. If any new insights or awareness land with you during this episode, please send me an email at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com and let me know what you found. I know the power of this work and I love to hear the impact these conversations have. Okay, let's get into it. G'day everyone and welcome to this week's guest, Neil Maxwell. How are you, Maxie? I'm very well, thanks Ian. Thanks, mate. Good stuff, mate. So uh, Neil and I grew up, uh, well, we'll get to where you first grew up, but uh, in the in your, once you got past six, just down the road from each other. So it's pretty cool to have a, a connection now and to hear more about your story because uh, my memories of you in those early days of playing all sorts of sports down the park and um and uh, some pretty uh, entertaining interactions with with millions of kids in the in the uh, in the park. Some good times back then, for sure. So, tell me a little bit about the work you're doing now, Maxie. Like you, 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 are you the CEO? Is Maximum Group your like? Or you oh, look, or? Don't, get, don't get carried away with Maximum Group. Maximum Group is just a private company that I've had for thirty years. Um, yeah, right. So. Um, I'm actually uh, opening uh, or starting um, a new part of uh, my business life uh, right now. Um, it's an interesting time. I, I've just finished up uh, a year or so ago. I've always wanted something called gardening leave. Working in sport, you don't get gardening leave. Um, yeah. And then finally, uh, I've been working in a, a sports LED company, an infrastructure company for the last five years, four, four or five years. And um uh, so that uh, I had the opportunity to sell out of that or finish up with that one, and I was actually, you know, took the opportunity to have a year and a bit off um, with uh, paid leave, which is something I've always wanted, as I say. So Beautiful. that was great, and uh, I really enjoyed that, especially during COVID. Um, after a pretty hectic life, um, it was great just to calm down and uh, and get some normality back, uh, spend some time with kids, and. Um, so I'm in a fortunate position where I'm managing um, or looking after the affairs of Pat Cummins, who's gone from strength to strength in recent years uh, or recent times. And um, and we're looking at a new uh, business venture together just to really try and flip the way that, um, that uh, sports personalities are managed. Um, so, yeah, very exciting. Oh, I'm curious about that. Mm. So, yeah. Pat has gone from strength to strength, and I and I you, you wouldn't hear too many bad words coming out about him in this country for sure. The way he's uh, shown leadership through um, recent times, what what demands does that come for you uh, looking after someone as high profile as that? Yeah, look, it's a good question. Having having looked after a couple of people uh, like you know Brett Lee and a little bit to do with Tim Cahill over the years. Um, uh, you know, that, that's quite um, labour intensive, um, but it's really interesting. The, the modern, the modern 
cricketer anyway, um, and someone like Pat in particular, it's it, look, it's not that it's not that difficult. It's nowhere near as time consuming as um, as it once was. I think Pat's uh, uh, quite an independent bloke. He's an intelligent guy. He um, you know he makes a lot of his own decisions, um, um, and uh, yeah, I think he's pretty clear. He's been around. I mean, you forget now he's in his eleventh year of playing for Australia. You know, yeah. which at twenty eight is quite phenomenal. Um, so he's pretty experienced. So um, this is all about planning and strategizing and creating, which is part of, uh, I suppose, my um, new life resolution is to not to get away from managing, you know, employees and uh, get more into something that I really enjoy, and that's creating. Yeah, and you mentioned that before when you were talking about how you sort of you're in India at the moment, how you had that relationship with India, and it's because you said you were coming up with these these different ideas. Is that something that, like, even from school time, you were just someone who always had lots of different creative ideas and and innovations in your head? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, 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 gosh, I struggle to think that far back. Um, but it's something in my yes, I suppose yeah, toward the. Um, you know, the start of, of my my working life, um, I've always thought a little bit outside the square. Um, I I had uh, I did some strength tests with a, a bloke. I think you know um, Richard Burton. Richard Burton, um, yeah, yeah. So Berto ran me through some strength tests, and um, and yeah, vision is one of the key ones that I have. So I seem to be able to see the direction of. Uh, of some things and uh, projects and other and uh, ideas and concepts and where they might go and what the obstacles are. Um, and I suppose I don't get put off by some of those obstacles, which has sent me down a few rabbit holes. I'm not <laughs> going to deny it. But it's also, um, you know, it's allowed me to, to be involved at the, at the coalface of the IPL when it was created and, and take cricket into America, um, play 2020 cricket over in Miami, things like that that uh, probably a lot of people thought were too hard at the time. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, interestingly, I've got Rich coming up on the podcast in a few weeks' time, so that's good. And oh, so, good. Worth, he, worth listening to. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And one of the things he talks about is this uh, the the, um, the inner zone, right, that, that concept mm-hmm. of flow. And, and before we jumped on, I was reminding you, when I was at uni, I did, um, I did human movement and I interviewed you around um, sports psychology and sports performance. And, and I asked you about that concept of being in the zone and, and, um, and we, you know, you were talking about it. So, so two-part two question. I'd love to hear if, if you have any memory, whether it was that one that you mentioned in that chat or something else of when you were in the zone in, in sport. And then also how does that translate now from specifically around what you learned from Rich, but I guess it, just through your own experience, how you find that those moments of flow and, and work when things are just unfolding effortlessly and it's like you you sort of described, you know what's coming before it happens. Yeah, um, I, th- I suppose just more broadly, sport, well, cricket in particular has provided me a huge amount of learning um, life lessons as much as anything. You know, I was saying to my father once, you learn more in one cricket season about your teammates than you would, you know, growing up years and years with uh, friends that you meet in later life. Um, I think the other place is obviously at school. You spend a lot of time with people, so you learn a lot about people. And you're learning their strengths and weaknesses. And I think cricket does that. 
um, you, you you play one season at least of competitive cricket and you learn a lot about your team to your teammates. Um, you go through so many different emotions. You share occasions, success, failure, you know, selection, non-selection, um, you know, good good matches, bad matches, you know, yeah. run of ducks, whatever it is. But you you learn a lot about how people cope. Um, business takes a lot longer to drag those personality traits out, I think, um, and most most businesses. Uh, uh, so, um, yeah, I digress. But I suppose the um, the interesting thing about some of you know the successful times on on the cricket field, as we were talking about earlier, is that you can get so deep into it that you actually you're concentrating so hard or you're not concentrating. I mean, I don't know. That's probably the thing that Richard could probably explain. Um, <laughs> yeah. You have these moments. I think I was telling you about the grade final where I managed to score 100 and I don't remember much about it at all. I just don't remember the innings because yeah. it just – I remember I remember getting caught on a no ball on 54 for some reason and and I said to myself, that's it. That's my, that's my chance to go big here, you know, and yeah. – um, and that that's all I remember. And it's probably because I felt like I came out of the zone, you know, because I was out for 30 seconds, you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah. And I think I don't, I don't find, I don't, can't recall experiencing that in, in, you know, in a, in a project or a, a work matter, to be honest, because, um, but the, 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 on the cricket field, if I felt it, you know, probably half a dozen times in 40 years, where you're just bowling or batting and you just everything just seems to be going your way and just uh, feet are moving, you're concentrating to a point where you're not having to think. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, it's just all natural. And um, I suppose that's what hard work probably does. It puts you, I think Steve Waugh said that a couple of times, the amount of work that you put in gets you to those points. And when you're in those moods, you, you know, all those that state of mind, you've really got to enjoy it. Mm. Yeah, it doesn't happen as often as we would like. So it uh, it'll be really- more often for the better. It, it probably happens more often for the better players, to be honest. Yeah, that's true. No- yeah. That's true. Uh, I'm always fascinated in human performance and how we can unlock more of that in our day to day. And it'll be really interesting for you as you go more into that sort of place of creation, whether you are able to find more of those moments because i know we all have these uh natural abilities that show up at different times and it's and it's similar to what you described we can lose six hours just by like like effortless and and um yeah more of those moments well with with where you're heading now it sounds like you could be um getting to access more of that the hard work if you look at like from a, a job perspective or a work perspective i reckon that in a way can take us out of that flow state, but gardening mm-hmm. leave is going to be a great opportunity for you to, to yeah. spend more time with the, with the more important things and allow more space for, for who knows what. The, the, the irony of it is that the higher you go up the rung or the more responsibility you take in your career, the, 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 the less you, time you spend doing the things that put you there if that makes sense. You see, the less time you play to your strengths. I mean, here am I. I I look at all the times I had to review bloody, you know, um, uh, financial statements and and manage HR issues and, you know, all of those things, which were just not me. I hate that stuff. Um, But 
but, but give me a business plan. Help me, let me write a business plan and take, you know, take a group of people off into the ether to try and achieve something. You know, that, that's, that's what I love. And, yeah, I just think that that's where we get it wrong in business. We promote people and they end up doing things that they're not bloody good at. Hundred percent. You get in the management role where you've got to manage a whole lot of other people and a whole lot of other things instead of yeah, your bread and butter. I couldn't agree more on that one. So we talked before we jumped on about sort of defining moments, but was there one moment in your life that that changed everything where you suddenly looked at the world in a completely different way? Um, yeah, I think um, I think. There's probably half a dozen key moments, um, but the one for me, one for me, um, and I apologise if I, I get a bit deep, but the one for me that's really close to my heart is just, um, I suppose, becoming a Christian. Um, I, I went through a lot of, you know, career issues, and I put so much stead in in proving, you know, climbing a ladder, a ladder that you create, ironically. Um, where your priorities lie. I remember even building my first business. I spent years, my family literally thought I had a second family in India because I made over 100 grips over here. Um, This is my first one in two two years, so I've been starved of that. Um, So, yeah, you make a lot of sacrifices and you lose your priorities. And I think think that for me, um, yeah, just becoming a Christian at a time when um, things were really difficult really difficult and it gave me a hell of a lot of perspective something that i probably had lost so um yeah and that was about 15 years ago i would suggest yeah so what was going on like what were those big challenges that were going on that sort of had you at that point where you were ready to to make some pretty decent changes i think um i think it was just not being in control you 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 everyone thinks you can you know you you work hard you plan and you prepare and that you're in control of a situation. I think when you lose that, um, the confidence that you're in control, um, we had a situation, I had two, two things going on. I had a, um, I had a, a dis, not a dispute. Some bloke had stolen about four or five, three or $4 million from Brett cool. Lee, Shane Lee, um, wow. uh, Michael Slater, um, it was a property bloke, and he was uh, he was just an absolute shark. He'd actually forged some signatures um, and taken money from their bank accounts. But it takes you eighteen months to go through a process to get that back. You know, it was oh, just wow. I'll never forget one of the moments when I discovered that the one of the signing days that, that, that allegedly happened, Brett was you know overseas. So you know, even that takes months and months to get through a process. So that was hugely stressful. And because I had made the introduction, I felt hugely responsible. I remember telling, sitting down with my wife one day and just saying, look, if he loses this money, we're going to sell our house and give it to him. Um, and uh, she just said, okay, that's what's needed. So, wow. you know, that was, that was the point where I just felt like, you know, this bloke had just taken us all. Um, and at the same time, my, um, my long, you know, uh, and dear friend, uh, uh, my first boss who employed me when I was in work experience at Cricket New South Wales, he um, he passed away. So I, my job was to organise a memorial service at the SCG and I had no idea where to start. And uh, I went to the um, the New South Wales cricket chaplain who I don't even know was around when I was playing, um, but uh, met this guy 
and he was just a legend, you know, and we, we chatted. We had a number of meetings to organise this memorial service and he just basically chatted to me over lunch a couple of times and was just saying, you know, this is where things end up, basically. It was quite a telling moment, you know. Um, yeah. And even, even with Warney's passing and that, you know, I, I see the grief that people um, experience, the loss that they have because they have no control of the situation. And um, I think when you can submit yourself to someone else um, and not think that you're in control, it just makes a huge difference. And and at the end of the day too, all these things that you strive for, mate, they are meaningless. And you ask Richard Burton, you ask Richard Burton about that because that's been a pivotal moment in his life as well. Um, and uh, it's just the yeah, the book of Ecclesiastes clarifies that, and it's just so true. Warney's worked his butt off all his life to try and get rich and be you know and be well known and. He's done a great job at it in human, you know, in worldly terms. But where's all that for him? You know, where where is yeah. it? It's just it just vanishes. And um, yeah. I think that's a true perspective. Mm. Yeah, and and I'm glad you you shared it that way. That that was my experience as well. So when Dad passed, uh, th- those exact questions, like a, a realization, which I think until you lose someone close, you don't really think of it. But it's not forever. There's kind of part of you that kind of feels like it's just going to be forever. There's no, I can do this later, I can do that later, but there's nothing like those moments that just has you like looking at everything differently. Mate, it, it's it's so true. Um, Bert, Bert, I'm sorry to be referring to Berto all the time, but this is an interesting point because he, he, he told me once that his job is relevant at three pivotal moments in people's lives. It's, it's when they get... They come to him to help sort out their career when they've been retrenched or made redundant, um, when they've got a health issue and, they're, you know, they're going to die or they've just got a health issue um, or when they're divorced, you know. And then it's the, those points that they realise, what am I doing? I'm just – mum, we sat around the table when I was 17 and mum said, why don't you be an accountant? And I've become an accountant. And 40 years later or 30 years later, I'm still doing it and I've never actually enjoyed it. You know, and they're yeah. things that you need, you know, man, I and I needed a pivotal moment and I'm glad you asked the question, you know, pivotal moment for me was just being totally out of control. I had no control of the matter and, um, you know, had to put my faith into something else and, um, and I found it. But I just hope people understand, you know, putting your faith in yourself is not really um, secure. Yeah, I actually did, I did a post on this just yesterday talking about that. The more we can connect to whether you believe it, God, the universe, spirit, whatever you want to believe, whatever your beliefs are, connecting to that higher power gives you a level of faith and, and peace that you just can't get on your own. 100%. And it's a, it's a comfort. Um, but it, it's again, it's an irony, and that's why a lot of people don't do it because you actually have to – um, submit yourself. You had to have to admit that you are not in control, and that's very hard for us to do, especially people in the corporate world. You know, who think they're really good CEOs and managers. I, I'll never forget Steve War saying to me once. He said, "A year after I stopped playing, kids didn't know who I was." Wow, right? that quickly. So he, yeah. he got one of the legends of the game, growing. You know, just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. 
And in our era, we just thought he was magnificent. And a year after, the next generation of kid has no idea who he is. And that's us. That's your great CEOs. That's your great industry leaders. I mean, people don't know who they are. You'd never know. You, you work these 30, 40 years to be famous and to be, you know, recognised and to be rich. But, mate, it all it just vanishes like that. So yeah. there you go. There's the, there's the herbal part of this chat. Yeah, beautiful. I love it. I'm also really drawn to what you said about responsibility because this is part of dealing with grief and, and it's very much that. When, no matter what happens, it's like there's a certain level of guilt or shame or feeling responsible for other people's stuff. So so that conversation, you 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 described it with your wife pretty matter-of-factly, matter of but I imagine that was like being, having, to, having to have that conversation well, that must have been so, like, even the leading up to that must have been really traumatic in itself. Uh, yeah. Yeah, look, it's interesting because, again, I suppose it's how much you get wrapped up in in the, you know, the material things. I, look, at the end of the day, doing the right thing was probably more important to me. And this was, this was pre-me becoming a Christian, I think, from, you know, what I recall, because I think, another pivotal moment was having first children and just starting to understand where did these kids come from? How does all this happen? So that was yeah. just about there. But, um, you know, the house was the house. You know, you start again. But um, I suppose that's why, I, you know, I, I fell in love with my wife is because that the house didn't matter. <laughs> it was more about us and the family. So, yeah, but uh, it was doing the right thing and taking responsibility. You know, you make a commitment to these people. You're looking after some players. Your job's to advise them. It was a lesson for me too. Is that I just stay, I, I stay the hell away from um, uh, financial planning or any of the financial side of looking after people. I just insisted from that day on that anyone that I had anything to do with had their own, had their own, um, you know, financial advice that was independent. Mm. Yeah, good lesson. The hard way, but uh, but we need to yeah, learn some well, way. Yeah, you learn a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you talked there about about control, and if you if you look back on the previous years to to the moments you just talked about, like I know for a lot of people, and particularly a lot of people listening to this, they would have grown up in an, an era where where how we were raised was very much through that lens of control like we had parents and grandparents who came through wars and it was probably for their own safety and and survival that that needed to be the case but then that plays out so so how did having that sort of part of you that needing to be in control how did that challenge you through through those younger years um i'll tell you where it challenged me more so is when you when you start to play a um a high level, I don't want to sound, you know, egotistical here, but when you start to play a high level or really competitive level of sport, um, you, again, I remember teaching this to Brett Lee. Um, we were having a beer one night in, um, in Queensland. We were sitting in a hotel room and um, we were just talking about his aspirations and what he wanted to go, where he wanted to go. And um, we talked about what you're taught as an athlete. And as an athlete, you're taught constantly to reset your goals, right? So you set a goal, you achieve it, then you move on to your next goal. You set another one and you go again and you go again, right? Um, 
it does, it shouldn't work like that in life. You know, right. I think what you've got to do is you set a goal, you get there and you enjoy it. You should enjoy it. And that, it's an interesting trade for athletes is why a lot of them fall off the rails, I think, is because they can't, they can't separate their sporting goals from their life goals. And the life goal should be to be happy, should be, you know, to be comfortable and relaxed. But I look at these guys and they're just aspiring. They, they get a really nice house. And then they want one with the, you know, with the boat ramp. And then they want, you know, down on the water. And it, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And they're never actually satisfied. And I think that's, you know, one of the key lessons um, that I've learned is I remember when I, we bought that house, I said, we're going to live in this for 10 years. I'm not going to try and get another house, a bigger house, you know. Yeah. And that 10 years went like that. And it's now 20 years and we're still in the same house. <laughs> nice. You know, it just, nice. Yeah. I think that's a common trap for a lot of people, uh, specifically professional sport. I've heard Lane Beachley talk about it. She said the first five world championships, just we celebrated for like an hour and then I was straight away talking about what's next or I need to get yeah. planning for next year. And she said it wasn't until the sixth one, I think it was, where she actually paused and went, I need to actually enjoy this. Yeah, I need to actually spend cool. spend some time really soaking this in. And if you think about like how that applies to most people's day-to-day life, how often they're just always, yeah, we need to keep aspiring to something else, but yeah. slowing down long enough to recognize and appreciate all of the wonderful things that are that are already going on, it's it's what allows us more of that peace, right? It's one of the benefits of COVID. You know, it just couldn't have happened at a better time for me personally. And I know a lot of people suffered, so I'm not, um, you know, uh, minimising that. But it couldn't happen better for me because I'd just come off one of the most hectic, you know, uh, merry-go-rounds working for an Indian company, trying to keep it afloat, working, you know, 120, 30 people that you're responsible for and just constantly putting out bushfires and then just leaving that and then COVID hit where we were all in lockdown and just, whoa, it just, you know, everything just decompressed. Um, yeah. Spending time around the dinner table with the kids again, you know, five nights a week, six nights a week. It was just having cooking competitions and just fun stuff. It was just, it's, it makes such a difference. And we can't lose sight of that. It's interesting here in Mumbai, the traffic is just diabolical any which way you look at it, right? you got... 22 million people living in a little space the size of Hornsby and um, COVID, now you can get around in the afternoon. It only takes 45 minutes to get somewhere instead of an hour and a half, you know, it's yeah, just, wow. uh, because it's just the dynamics are changing. People are working from home. They're not, they're not all just converging on one location. Yeah. Yeah. I think while well, a lot of people did have challenging two years, I think that that's been the overriding theme that I've heard from people too, is that they really enjoyed that slowdown. And, and when suddenly things opened up at different times, they're like, I don't want to go back to that. I can't go back yeah. to that. And I think that's been the, one of the biggest gifts through all of this is all right, let's, let's re-envision our life and let's mm. get that balance right. Whether it's gardening yeah. leave or yeah, magic. So, Let's take it right back now because you, we, I asked you before about the, the sort of pivotal moments. You, you were born in Fiji and grew up there the first six years of your life. Wow, what an experience that must have been. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was 
it was magnificent. Um, you know, it was, this is the 19, you know, late 1960s, early 1970s, and it was a paradise. It was just, um, you know, you basically lived um, and the village looked after you. It was fantastic time. Um, Dad was with CSR running sugar mills and, um, you know, when my brothers got old enough to go to school, uh, uh, secondary school, we sent them one away for a year and mum hated it. So that was sort of the final straw. Um, so we all moved over to, back to Sydney then and, um, yeah, that, that was a change. But it just that perspective on life, that connection with the country, I ended up, um, I didn't even know Fiji had a cricket team, but I ended yeah. up playing 20, 22 years of, you know, cricket for Fiji which took me all over the world. It was just magnificent playing in ICC tournaments in Canada, um, Mount, base of Mount Fuji in Japan, um, Kenya, Amsterdam, Malaysia. You know, it was just, they were great tours. Um, even, you know, not that I ever made, you know, the full-on Aussie side, but those tours were just such fun, you know, to go to places that a lot of people wouldn't dream of going through the sport of cricket. So, yeah, it was yeah. a great connection. And it set me up in many ways. Yeah, wow. Uh, sounds amazing. We'll get to, to more around cricket because you said uh, then you come in, you come to Australia and you said you, you, you like a lot of us when we have older siblings, we, we follow them around as, as youngsters. And you said that mm. like following your brother, Andrew, really got you into cricket. And, and a story that you told about going to the games and hoping someone wouldn't um, – someone wouldn't show up so you'd get a game. I've heard so many successful cricketers say have that same story. That's how much yeah. they loved it. They just wanted to be there. So tell us about that that love affair of cricket, how that came to be and, and how that sort of unfolded as you went through those um, yeah. early years. It's an interesting one. I don't know where the love comes from. It's just the fascination with the game. Um, but I did. I used to wear my white shorts and white shirt as an 11, 12-year-old and go and watch my brother play afternoon cricket and um, – and I can't tell you the amount of times I, I scammed a game, probably a half a dozen games I would have, I was allowed to field. Blokes would just want to go off the field for a rest, so I'd just run on and, you know. Um, I remember once I had to bat to save a game. I couldn't. I was 12 years old playing the, the top team, Mount Cola, and uh, they were nine down and they needed to bat nine overs and they really wanted a draw. And, uh, and I got strapped up and... <laughs> I went out there and I was shooting myself, I tell you. And these big, fast bowlers, I remember his name is Franklin, David Franklin, and he was steaming in and I was, I was literally about to burst into tears. And they were going to, they started, I batted for six or seven overs and they, they're starting to get really nancy and um, then they started sledging and then I think the tears did come on. <laughs> but it was, um, yeah, they're great learning experiences that. Um, and then, yeah, just the, I think the game, the game itself teaches you so many life lessons. So um, it's a great way to grow up. Yeah. Um, my brother James said he had to ask you how many, like he, he had some story about how many times he pinned you in, in the just playing in the in the sort of backyard sort of game. So I think that would. <laughs> but you, you touched on it earlier, mate, and it's it's amazing. You're a product of your environment in so many ways, and what yeah. the, the games of soccer and the games of cricket we used to play. Um, you know, there's a, there's a guy I played cricket with who ended up becoming a left-hander because his hallway. It was the only way you could stand to get your bum had to go into the bathroom when you played hallway cricket. And he ended up becoming a left-handed batsman. And 
you know, those games that we played, if you hit it on the road, on the leg side, you're out. So all your shots, you're working, you know, for years and years and years, you're practicing all these shots on the offside. I was crap on the leg side because as a kid growing up, never got them, you know. We weren't allowed to hit them there. Um, 100%. And, and our, yeah. our backyard they had the garage on the offside. So all of my shots yeah. were risky <laughs> shots through the wicket. And that continued, right? There you go. Uh, got yeah. me out plenty too. Um, mm. So so something that I wanted to ask you about is something that that's, was certainly the case for me is like uh, – emotional reactions through sport like like losing my head at different situations like almost like all that sort of stored up frustration coming out and i know watching you growing up particularly around football mm-hmm. enough cricket so much those emotional yeah. reactions like as you grew up and then and then had to deal with those in a sort of more public setting like what what did you learn about yourself and, and being able to what sort of strategies did you come up with to be able to cope with those sort of reactions which are which are pretty normal for most people yeah, uh, look, th- this is why I, I'm in admiration of blokes like Pat Cummins and even Shane Lee and Brett Lee to some extent. You know, the way they control those emotions, it just – I love the way Pat Cummins plays and that's why he's going to redefine Australian cricket, I think, as a leader and as a player. The, sure. the series against Pakistan was just amazing. That was that should have been a tense series and it was just played with such wonderful spirit and i in such admiration of that. So – um, that's why you know, um, you know. That's why I admire those type of those people. Um, yeah, I, I I was a pork chop in many respects. Um, I think um, cricket, from a cricket perspective, I I learned to use it effectively in the sense that um, with all of my carry on, you know, I would say thirty percent of it was dummy spit carry on, and seventy percent of it was strategic carry on. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I was a lot of huff and puff and bluff to change situations in games. And that's the way cricket plays out. You you lose a session and you can lose a four day game. So you can't let things drag. You've got to create something. And um one of my uh first captains, Ross Turner, who was you know, Northern District Cricket Club, he I was uh, seventeen, eight, eighteen playing my third first grade game and happened to be a grand final um, against St. George. And he wrote a letter to us all after the, each, every, every player he wrote a letter to. And he said to me at one point, don't, don't ever change, you know, the, um, your, your enthusiasm and your desire to change the game. Wow. You know, and, and that was something that changed the game um, in the context, in, you know, in the context of a, of a moment, you know, how can I change this moment? So, you know, carry on, talk. In those days, that's the way you played cricket. That's the way we were brought up, you know. Um, And that's why, you know, I digress slightly, but that's why, you know, coaching styles now are so different to the way they were 10 years ago. I look at this McDonald and how calm, the Trevor Bayless, how calm and relaxed they are around the team, all of that. We had it different. We were, we were, Team first, you have to do this. You know, you, you fit into whatever the team needs. All of this sort of stuff. The modern, the modern cricketer, and and even um, you know, business manager, has to be far more individual focused. Has to allow people to flourish and develop their strengths and their skills. 100%. And um, and this is a this is a marked change. Uh, I reckon is a moment in time now because young kids don't. I, I'll never forget Steve Rickson. 
screaming at us one day. He said, when I stop yelling at you, it means I don't care. And it was a really important point, you know, because he was trying to do so much. We had one coach and he's trying to manage 24 state squad players and he's screaming and yelling directions and, and there's energy and bubble and, you know, in fielding drills, it's all going. But he says to me, if I stop yelling at you and telling you, it means I just don't care about you anymore. You know, but you do that to a young kid now and yeah. he's going to walk off and sulk, even in rugby league or rugby union, he's going to be devastated. So there's this real transition of leadership. Um, and I think that's the same in business. You can't, you're not allowed to have the real direct conversations. You're not allowed to have a conversation one-on-one because you'll get sued for it. If you, you know, they, their interpretation can be completely different to what you were saying. So, yeah, there's a, there's a real evolution going on at the moment in the way that, you know, you manage people and, and lead people. Yeah, and I think it comes back to what you're talking about before about faith and and leading from your heart rather than it being from from a wounded place. And mm. ultimately, we all want to have those meaningful connections. So, so that leads me into something else I wanted to ask you about. Is like my knowledge of you in business is, although extremely limited, was always like, well, you know, you would create a connection around something specific, and and you would add incredible value and then like there'd be other conversations around different things that you were looking to get done and it was always it always felt like in integrity it always felt authentic how do you allow that sort of way of leading drive what whatever you do in in work and in life yeah that it's interesting because whilst i don't think of it that way it is it is it is truly um natural it's a you know it's sorry my phone's wondering me from straight um yeah the um it's uh it's innate in many respects you know i i just think and and this is pre becoming a christian is just that you don't want to do the wrong thing i just don't you know life's too short you you know if you want to be if you want people to What's the other word? If you want to be able to trust people, you've got to trust people, if that makes sense. So, you know, and, okay, you get burnt. And the amount of times you facilitate opportunities and people don't recognise that, so be it. You know, um, I just I don't think it's worth the effort chasing something um, if it's not from the heart, to your point, Ian. You know, I just think... The things you do, if you're going to be generous, you be generous. You know, you don't be generous and then put your hand out. So, I don't know. Yeah. I, I have, I'm really, you've, you've, you've got me there, but I just think integrity is a core part of what you do. Um, I don't have a contract with um, Pat Cummins. I don't have a, I don't have a business contract. Now, some would call that naive. I would call that, yeah, trust and respect. Um, if he does something. Uh, if he if he wants to go to somewhere else, then that's his call. Go, mate. I'm not going to hold you to it. You know, um, yeah. You want to work um, together? We work together. Yeah. It's old school. Like you, I'm drawn to someone like Mick Cronin in in league. He goes, I never signed a contract. It was always a handshake. Yeah. And he, and he's a he's a guy from from uh, from the country that come up to the city and played. And it's all he needed. Mm. If this is what we're doing, this is what we're doing. And then if it changes, then it changes. I think more more doing business like that in a, in a really trusting way. Yeah, that, that's like you said before. It's a pivotal moment. And it's and it's and it's changing times. I, I saw 
and this is what angers me about the sports industry. Um, I grew up where some multi-million dollar contracts were done on tablecloths, right? They were literally framed on a tablecloth or, you know, in some cases, Imran's contract to play for New South Wales was done on the back of a coaster, a beer coaster, and yeah. signed, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I witnessed that. And the thing that frustrates me now is that you have a conversation, you agree something, and, and you go away and it means very little. Then, then someone steps in and writes a 42-page contract that just changes the whole essence of what was agreed. And it's just so time-consuming, labour-intensive and wasteful when the intent is there and, mate, it should be four bullet points that someone's instructed to, you know, articulate. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's what I find. And yet, again, it annoys me that people will, you know, take the piss out of India, you know, and, and China and these places about, you know, uh, you know, um, uh, trustworthy business dealings or lack thereof. And yet, I tell you what, Australia, Australian sport, I just found, I, I really find it since the 80s when I started, it, I'm quite disgusted by the way that people carry on in that industry. Mm. Mm. And I don't think it's probably not just Australia, right? There's a lot of that where there's a player manager involved that there's uh, shady stuff going on. Um, yeah, but I also, and I'm not going to shy away from it, I also mean the sports organisations and associations. Oh, 100%. And I, I look at the way Cricket Australia, you know, Cricket Australia was nailed by the Longstaff Review. It was just so so sad but pleasing that that was aired because that sort of culture is just it was disgusting. I can't tell you how bad it was having grown up in it. You know, well, and, we, saw, we saw what unfolded very publicly as a result of that sort of culture, right? Yeah, and but it, it, cricket Australia is just one of them. I mean, it, you know, the AFL's had its issues. NRL, you know, seems to be getting things on track. And you know what? In many ways, and and he mightn't be everyone's cup of tea, but if Pete Volandis has bring brought back old school, it, you know, he's brought back old school. He looks at it and says, "This is common sense. Let's do it." You know, and oh, okay. And all of a sudden, it's done, and the game, you know, has thrived now. He'll have a lifespan because someone will get him in time. But, yeah, I just think that, that there's a lot to be said for old school. 100%. So when you look at your future and whatever opportunities may arise, is is there part of you that's, that's driving you forward around making a difference, like actually doing something beyond just you and that's going to actually have a, a meaningful impact on the world? Yeah, look um, – I'd be lying to you if I said all of it was based around having a meaningful impact in the world. Um, for me, um, I, I think, and something I've got to watch, but I think there's a, you know, there's a bit of ego in the sense of I love to create new. <laughs> you know, I love to, and it's it, there's a disruption, yes, and I, I do pee a lot of people off as a result because I, I'm, I, I don't know, maybe I, I, I'm threatening in the respect that I don't. I just don't accept the normal way of doing things. I like to challenge, and that comes yeah. across as, you know, in many ways that comes across as uh, as a threat, and it's not meant to be that. It's meant it comes back from coaching world, a cricket world, of just wanting to improve and get things, do things differently to get better. Um, so it's not all about the world. It's about 
there's a little bit of element of proving that things can be done. Um, if I'm being completely transparent, um, yeah, and um, and I, I don't I don't worry about the money. The money for me is a game. It's just a game. It's a measuring tool. You know, it, in some respects, which is it should be one of many. It, you know, it shouldn't be the measuring tool. Don't, yeah. Um, but uh, I'm really excited about some of the work we're doing with Pat. I mean, I'm. I'm in many respects a reform smoker in the sense that I'm not a, I wasn't big into the climate. I really didn't give a rats about the climate in that regard. But now we're building this cricket for climate foundation and I just can see you know the problem that the world's facing and um so yes I'm conf- I've been converted <laughs> um uh but that for me I, that that is I'm becoming passionate about making a difference in that space. Yes. Um, yeah, that's awesome. My, my other passion, my other passion, and and to some extent frustration, is the is people not realising their potential, and I hate that. I hate that. And I, you know, there's a belief. I, you know, I love to give people the confidence and the belief that they can do stuff, and because I got given that, I got given that uh, pivotal moment. We had to bowl out South South Australia for two uh, 190 in the fourth innings of a game, and Steve Waugh was captain. And at the time, I was the leading bowler in New South Wales, and um, we'd got we'd got them six down, and he still hadn't given me a bowl. And I was really starting to get antsy because, you know, I'd, I was the leading wicket taker, and you know, and the game was getting really tight. And I just thought this bloke doesn't believe in me. You know, it really annoys me. He hasn't been around while I've been taking all these wickets. And then the drinks break came. There's six down. There's an hour and a half to go. And um, he said, "Right, I've held you back for this moment. You're going to win us the game. Here's the ball. Go and do it." Wow. And man, you know, it was just I was just I could have run through a bloody grandstand. You know, I would have run and. It was that belief that he had in me, which because I was starting to doubt it, you know, but that sort of leadership just gave And from that moment, you know, I've taken that through everything that I've done, um, encouraging players, you know, young young cricketers, because you can just see it. You can see what they can do, but they can't see it themselves. And that's the same in business. It's just giving people the opportunity and backing them. And you very quickly work out if people have got the, you know, got the substance to be able to to do these things when you give them that chance yeah and and the key thing there which is why i was frustrated with cricket australia growing up is because everyone worked in fear you can't make a mistake and i just that that annoys me so much because mate to score 100 you got to get a duck right you're never going to score you're never going to score 100 you know, as your first innings and then never always succeed. So you've got to fail and you, I don't know. I just think that that you've got to empower people to fail at times. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's that same thing that we've sort of been themed through it. It's that control. It's like trying to get people to not make a mistake is like a, it's a, con- yeah. like a control element. It's like, no, it's not how it is. Yeah. I love how you described that around helping people because I think, to me, that's like a, such a powerful driver for anyone is you think about what you were provided as a gift from someone else that, that you really yeah. needed at that time and then being able to pay that forward. But like the level of fulfillment that, that brings, like yeah. that, 
that's just that brings meaning, right? So, yeah, Bob Bradford believed in me and gave me an opportunity as a cadet administrator um, when I was when I was eighteen. I'd, I'd done my at sixteen. I'd done two weeks work experience with Cricket New South Wales. I didn't know who Cricket New South Wales were. Looked them up in the phone book, wrote them a letter, went in for a job, an interview to get a work experience. Yeah. Did two week, did two weeks work experience, and then he invited me back after I finished um, to come after finished school, and um, yeah, he believed in me. Sent me to Lords, told me go and learn how not to run cricket. So I went over there <laughs> uh, uh, and just introduced me to every you know every person in the game. Um, it was so, and then all of a sudden, the people that I got into cricket New South Wales after that were. Uh, Michael Slater came. He came down for got him into New South Wales cricket as the umpire's appointment officer. Um, uh, Michael Bevan came in as a development officer, um, and Dom Thornley came in, did work experience and all that. Those people all came through just referrals through through that. You know, and I'm not taking credit for Michael Bevan or Michael Slater's successes, but they got in. <laughs> Slats certainly was out of cricket. He was pulling beers in Wagga Leagues Club because he'd hurt his back. And he came back for a job at Cricket New South Wales, ended up playing cricket again, and in, and, and within 18 months had played at Lords, yeah, scored wow. 100. Yeah. So that's, they're the defining moments. <laughs> yeah, love it. You mentioned something there around like uh, you like you like the difference you wanted to bring change. Like from my experience, when, when we bring change, most people typically – don't like change or it's so challenging that they'll resist it and resist it. And all those things you described are like, that's other people's projection of what they've got going on rather than it being not, them not necessarily not wanting the change, but it just feels so uncomfortable. Right. So, mm-hmm. so how have you learned to roll with it? Because I think, well, I know how much this will be beneficial to people to hear how they can shift that mindset from a place of, well, I'm resistant to change because I, I kind of like things how they are, the status quo. But what are the positives that come when you embrace a different way of looking at it, when you're open to doing something different than maybe you'd done it before? I think um, I think a, a team culture is really important in that sense, that you, you need to be thinking about the bigger picture. And I think you've got to have the confidence that people are, you know, are looking at you that your management's looking at you as a team as well. Um, if you're going one out and you're always worried about yourself, then change can be threatening. You know, change can be, um, you know, there's an insecurity there. Um, whereas, I don't know, I, I think um, maybe maybe there's an element of naivety in my from my perspective as well, but I've always just looked at it from what's the greater good? here for this situation how do we how do we achieve our goal our goal not my goal um and all of a sudden then you know change is a part of that in order to get there otherwise if you're still doing the same things you know again that's that's probably just part of the makeup if you're if you're someone like me that likes to challenge all the time and try and improve um i think again that comes from a you know an upbringing in sport where you've just got to, you've got to improve. You've got to find 1%. You've got to get better. Then you need to change something to do that. You can't just keep doing the same thing. So yeah. I, I think a lot of it's got to do with, you know, if you, if you, 
you got to find the right roles too. You, you, if you're if you're really conservative, you fear change, then you shouldn't be leading or trying to expect to be a leader. You should be a follower, you know. And and that's where there's a disconnect. If you're if you're a follower and you're trying to lead, man, you're not you're not going to go anywhere, and and you're going to um, create a lot of discontent with the people around you as well. So change change is a part of it. And I think um, the one thing that I'm learning, um, you know, every five years, there's just such the the change is greater and greater and greater, um, you know. And now I'm sounding really old, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, who would have thought we'd be doing this sort of stuff, communicating the way we are so quickly in the last two years? Um, you've got to embrace it. Yeah, hundred percent. Or you'll get left behind. Um, what, what you said there, um, for the greater good, right? And it's and it's sort of a, that's been another theme that's run through it. Like doing the right things always the right thing, whether it's yeah. creating change that that is needed, or just working through whatever it is you've got to work through yourself and interactions with others. Doing the right things always the right thing. And yeah, uh, that's right, and and that'll be consistent. But the the other thing too is that there's nothing wrong with people wanting to work in their own environment and do do their thing. Like if someone wants to earn, um, an old a mate of mine was the most satisfied bloke on the face of the earth, in that his job every um, every morning he got up at five thirty six o'clock and he went and he emptied the um, the parking meters in South Sydney Council. Right, he was home at two thirty, and you know, and that's all. He got his whatever it was, fifty grand, forty-five grand a year to do that, and he was he was bloody content because he was with his kids and he was doing what he wanted to do. Now, he he all you don't if he's if he's in that environment, you don't need to take him out of his comfort zone. You know, there's no that that's him. That's that's what makes that person happy. The person that wants to achieve but doesn't want to go outside their comfort zone. Ain't going to happen. That's a dichotomy, if that's the right word. It's just a clash. You, yeah. You're going to have to get out of your comfort zone if you want to move somewhere or you want to, you know, grow. Um, it just doesn't work otherwise. Yeah. You, you've talked a lot about improvement and, and like different ways of doing that, the different challenges. What What's some advice you would give to people, whether it's sport or business, on what's the right mindset to take into that to to be able to continue, continually have improvements as you go through life? I think um, the, the, biggest, the biggest failing is in, in, is in insecurity that I can see. I think there's a lot of you've got to, you've got to be confident to learn and listen, take advice, um, and, then, and then back yourself, you know. Um, I, I just don't – I don't know whether – you know the world allows that these days, especially now with there's a lot of I don't know whether it does. We're working from home. Um, you know whether that means there's more independence or there's actually more governance. I don't know. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that evolves. But I think um, you know the best advice I I've ever received and the best advice I can give to someone else is believe in yourself. And I say that to my kids all the time. You know, it, there's nothing you can't do. Um, and you can get there. It can seem a long way away. I, I was talking to my son the other day about 
he just finishing HSC, he had no idea what he really wanted to do. And I just said to him, what's your passion? And he just said, oh, I love English Premier League football. And and he, he said, I said, well, why don't you go and do an internship at a club? Go, go and do something there. And just get, get it on your CV somehow. He goes, oh, how can you do that? I said, but people know people. You've got to, you've got to network. You know, there's nothing that you can't do. And within two weeks, we'd made some calls and, you know, he has the opportunity to work for two weeks at Arsenal, you know, Amazing. and unfortunately COVID because the EPL, this was last year, EPL just shut down um, mm-hmm. as a result. But we're setting it up for, you know, hopefully this year where it just goes for it. It's just there's the barriers there, but you can get there. I've got a young kid ringing me every day wanting to be a net bowler in the IPL. He plays second grade for Fairfield. You know, he's ringing me every day. And I'm, I'm speaking to the owner of the Delhi Capitals on the Friday and I'm going to ask him if this kid can be a netballer, you know. But it's just uh, you just got to do it, you know. You've got to try. <laughs> Outstanding. Put yourself out there. You never know where you'll land. That's so That's cool. Right. Uh, Maxie, thank you so much for sharing. Some, some awesome life lessons there um, and – particularly when you look through those moments that were really challenging and how it allowed you to to let go of that control and find faith. I, I really appreciate you you sharing so openly, mate. Thank you. No, thank you. No, I really appreciate it. I hope I haven't bored you or your listeners. So thanks. No, it, was, it was brilliant. Thanks, mate. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grief Code podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please share it with a friend or family member that you know would benefit from hearing it too. If you are truly ready to heal your unresolved or unknown grief, let's chat. Email me at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com. You can also stay connected with me by joining the Grief Code community at ianhawkinscoaching.com forward slash the grief code. And remember, so that I can help even more people to heal, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.